We are going to turn to Genesis 41. If you want to, you can keep your finger there if you have one of those little markers in your Bible. Also, 1 Corinthians 6. How to handle your history. How are you handling your history? How, how are, you, are you getting past your past? How you handle your history will determine whether you are enabled by it or disabled by it. The truth that we all recognize tonight is we are all born into histories. Um, we have an inherited identity because of it. It comes from our families. Uh, my wife is German family, and I'm Scottish, and so there's a lot of differences in that culture, those cultures. Um, Our family and backgrounds um, are quite different. Uh, My wife was used to coupons and turning off the lights, and I wasn't. So we got married. I learned a lot of things, and quickly. And uh, so it was a good thing to be frugal and so to say. But, you know, those, those are born in histories. Um, the country you live in, America, is different than if you were born outside of America. That's a different kind of history that you're going to have or experiences that come from it. Your ethnicity, and we've seen that in, in good ways and bad ways. Um, and we've seen our faith that we have um, is, makes it... Uh, part of our history and how we look at things and how we perceive things. Individual histories are all different, um, but what we need to do as Christians is connect them. Um, Connect them to a story that's bigger than ours, and this is what you're going to see in Joseph's life. When you're a Christian, because you get a new identity, you look at everything, including your past, differently. Um, You interpret things differently. Differently. so what we have tonight, and I'm going to say it back a number of times over this year in different ways, we have what I term, not me personally, but tonight I'm using the term narrative identity. And by that I want you to get the understanding is that everyone's identity is not just about themselves. Identity, especially in the Bible, is about community. In fact, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, people couldn't even begin to fathom what their identity would even be about apart from the community in which they lived. They had a we-oriented identity. We have a me-oriented identity. In other words, theirs was emphasis was on community. Ours is on individualism. And it makes a big difference on how we view life. And so some of you tonight are embarrassed about your identity in the past and where it came from in the history. Some of you are proud of it. Um, but we all have it. We carry it around with us everywhere that we go. All of our experiences and choices that we've done in our life contribute to our histories. And what you're going to see tonight, and what's true in Joseph's life in, in, in uh, Genesis 41, let me read the passage for you. Um, verse 50, Genesis 41, 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, now notice these two statements are parallel. 
and this I'll show you why. He said, God has made me, and that's the repetitive phrase in both of them and the children's names. God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Now that's how Joseph handled his past. Okay, he's gonna talk about all of his hardship. Now you remember, he's been seated at second in line to Pharaoh now, so everything's a lot better, um, but his past is still part of who he is. See, we don't, uh, we're not trying to, uh, we cannot actually change our past, um, but we can reinterpret it and see it how God sees it. So he's going to see his past and through God's eyes, and that's why he names his first son Manasseh, because he's going to talk about, we're going to go through this, all of his hardship, the things that people did to him, and all of his father's house. And so we're going to find out that these have social, physical, emotional, and relational ramifications. All right? And then he's going to talk about how we have to regard our, how, how we have to handle our, our, our past in a certain way. Why? Because it will determine our future. And that's why he names his second son. And the verse goes on to say that the name of the second he called Ephraim. And here's what it means. Same phrase at the beginning. For God has made me. Now see, he, at both of those things, whether his past or his future, he put God at the center of it, and we're going to talk about that. God has made me fruitful. Fruitful, not because he took me out of the land of my affliction, but he did it in it. <laughs> see, there, there, there you go. That's how you handle your past. It's not that God has to change so much, although he did, circumstances in the end he changes you even at times when he it leaves you in the same place where all the bad things took place right so how you handle your history will be either enable or disable you if you don't handle it well you might be like peanuts i know this is some of you are too young for this but remember the peanuts comic strip and uh lucy charlie brown all that well one of them said one time in the newspaper it said uh, Lucy was out in the outfield and a hit came out to her and she dropped it. Charlie Brown was upset, of course, because he was trying to pitch. And he runs up to her and he's all upset. And he says, why in the world would you drop that? Why did you do it? And she said, the past got in my eyes. And by that she means this isn't the first time she's dropped it. In other words, she's dropped him so many times that it's just par for the course, so to speak. Have you ever had that happen to you? Why did you do that? Why in the world would you do that? Let me say, and why did you do it again? Why, why have you done it over and over again? Why do you keep doing it? Because I think if we're not careful, we'll see the past gets in our eyes. And we begin to think that, oh, that's who I am. Because your history, catch me, your history is connected to and linked to your identity. And so we got to remember that tonight. Our history shapes our identity. John Buchner said it this way, identity is lost when our roots come loose. When the anchors that keep us stable in life, when everything around us is going wrong, when those things are loosened, uh, we begin to lose out on how we respond and our past begins to take over and become the defining force in our life. My mom Many of you know, I, I've mentioned it as illustration. My mom, the last eight, nine years of her life, had Alzheimer's until she died um, not too long ago. 
And I would go to see my mom at various times of the year and fly out to Kansas City. And I would sit at the same table with my mom and she'd be having lunch and we'd be helping her eat that lunch. And I would say, hey, who are you? And she couldn't remember most anything you'd ever ask her. But until the last year or so, she could at times, she would say, I am Mary Jane Walker. And it always shocked me because she didn't know anything else. Um, and I thought about that, and I said, you know what? That, that's difficult because that's where a lot of Christians are. See, my mom knew her name, but she didn't know what it meant anymore. And it didn't impact how she lived. She didn't know my dad and how she treated him. and how She didn't know us as her kids. She didn't know anything about She knew her name, though. See, there's a lot of people who are Christians, and they know they are Christians. That's what they call themselves. That's their identity. But if you ask them if it impacts them on how they live their lives and how they look at their past and how they handle it, uh, you would wonder if they really know what that means. And so tonight what we want to do is we want to take a look at how our history and our identity go together. It is honest to say you are your history, but we have to add this because we're Christians. But history is not the only feature of our identity. All right? In in our passage, um, here's what you have. Joseph has a history. He does. And let me tell you this. If you're ever going to change, if you're ever going to get past your past, if you are going to biblically and properly handle your history God's way, you will not do it and you will not be able to change by ignoring the facts or denying them. What I love about Joseph in this passage, in chapter 45, and then again in chapter 50, as he rehearses before his brothers all the things that took place, the one thing Joseph never does, he never downplays, waters down, you know, kind of Miss, mess it up a little bit, or I would say make it not as true as it. He always says the truth about all the events that took place. He doesn't try to sidestep it, minimize it. He doesn't try to put a cushion on it so it's not so bad. No, he says it like it is, not in a harsh way, but he says the reality of what he was or what happened to him. In chapter 45, he says it this way, you didn't send me here. God did. He even says, you sent me into slavery, but God sent me here, and he tells the reason. Over in chapter 50, he says it even more straight. He says, you meant it for evil. Now, he's telling his brothers straight out that phrase when they are afraid that now that their dad is done, that he's going to take vengeance out on them. And so he does speak comforting words to them, but that's not the first thing he says. Here's what he says to his brothers. You meant it for Ethan. In other words, you are responsible. You really did this. And this is what your intentions were. But using the same Hebrew word, you meant it for Ethan. See in our text, God made me this. God made me that. Joseph says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Now watch. He didn't say you meant it for evil, but God turned it around and used it for good. That's not what he says. Because God's sovereignty is more than just a response to your past history. God's sovereignty is more than just responding. He has controlled every detail the entire way through. Do you see that? So Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Now, what you have to get in your mind when it comes to God's sovereignty is we put that together with our history and identity 
is this. Look at the text in Genesis 41. He says, again, Joseph called the name Manasseh, God has made me. He called Ephraim, God has made me. Here's the difference, and please get this because I, am th- I think on an adult level and on a teenager level, this may be the most important truth that you could ever get a hold of. I'm, I'm not trying to drama- dramatize it or over-exaggerate over it, but it really is probably the most important truth you can get is that you have to ask yourself, who are you and who is going to tell you who you are and what that means. Who has the right, the authority, to tell you who you are and what that means? Before we look at the Genesis one, turn to that 1 Corinthians passage, would you please? God is in the business of restructuring, and I would say totally transforming people's identities. And he does it by helping them to see their past in light of their relationship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. There are many, and I can't even begin to tell you, in almost every book of the Bible, that the the Bible letters are all about identity, identity formation and how that works with your history. Now here's some people in Corinth, where it's a very cosmopolitan city, very decadent city, Uh, much like some of the big cities in our country. Um, Every type of sexual perversion and revolution uh, was taking place there, much like in the day in which we live. But some of these people through the ministry of the Apostle Paul and Aquila and Priscilla had their lives changed by the gospel. And here's what Paul says to them in a favorite phrase he uses about nine or ten times in 1 Corinthians in the middle section. He starts off with that question, Do you not know? that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's important because it's a little bracket and a framework in this little three-verse paragraph. And he says it again at the end of verse 10. All right? So he says, at the end of verse 10, nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see that? It's at the beginning of 9 and the end of verse 10. So let me tell you this. How important is it that you get down your identity as formed in Christ? Well, it's eternally important because it may make the difference on where you spend eternity. You will or will not inherit the kingdom of God based on finding the right identity and living it out. He says, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will, inherit, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Two times in 1 Corinthians, the only two, he says to them in a command form, don't be deceived. In other words, here's one of the biggest errors you're going to face. Don't be fooled by it. And here is one of them. Okay? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So we're all kinds of sexual deviants, sin. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. Not because it's an exhausted list, but that was one's Those were ones that were prevalent in Corinth. And he says in verse 11, key phrase, and such were some of you. Do you see what he says? That is your past. How do you get past your past? Can I say basic building block number one? How do you get past your past? 
you have to get a new identity. You have to get a new identity in Christ. Now, what's unusual about this text, if you read it in light of the opening verses of this book, is one of the things that he calls them all the way throughout the book are saints. Can you believe that? He calls them holy ones. But these people in their past were all of these things. All of these sexual things, social things, moral things. This is what they were like. But when they became Christians, how they viewed their past, how they viewed their history changed because they got a new identity. They were now saints of God. They weren't unrighteous, adikos, which is is a word means not righteous. But they were righteous people. They were holy saints. See, See, when you get saved, you get a new identity. And that is who you are. And your past and that old identity, listen, it's not that you are not, you can't change those past things that you did in the past, but they are restructured and reinterpreted and processed differently. And God says that's not who you are anymore. So our histories, listen, our histories are what they are for all the baggage. Everyone, I read a quote this week, everyone comes with baggage, but you need to find someone who will help you unpack it, right? And that's what Jesus does. He helps you unpack all of our baggage and sometimes the dirty laundry that's in it. And he helps you to see that when you get forgiven and you get saved, you get a new identity. We saw that in Nicodemus in John 3 this past week as he became a new person, a different kind of identity. And it changed his life. And these people's lives are changed. They used to be all of these things. And he lists all the things. See, but he doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, I'm not going to say any of those things. No, he tells you, you name it. See, those things, that's what we were. That's what I used to be like. But see, that's my history But God doesn't change my history. He transforms it. He uses it. He uses it for his glory. How does he do that? Here's how. Listen, you get saved. What does that mean? It means that your story now has become subservient to someone else's story. All right? What does that mean, Pastor Walker? Joseph says it this way. Here, there's a story going on in my life. Let me tell it to you. Abraham he had sons, and they didn't get along together. Isaac had two sons. They didn't get together. J- Jacob had a lot of sons, two by my mom, me and Benjamin, and all of us didn't get along together. That's a repeated history. He, Joseph was born into that. He was born into Abraham, who was a really good guy, but he lied about his wife, and Isaac did the same thing, and they didn't always trust God. Jacob was known as a deceiver. Rachel uh, and Sarah laughed when he, she said God was going to be able to give her a child at her old age, and she didn't trust him. And you look at Jacob and Rachel, who said, give me a child or I die. I mean, he's got some problems that he inherited when he was born into that family, right? But what does God do? Well, he has, in our text, Joseph has two sons. And he points that out because, you know what? He is like Abraham. He is like Isaac. He has two sons. Now, they all had problems because Esau and Jacob didn't get together. Isaac and Ishmael didn't get together, right? But Joseph says, I know that history. I have that same history running in my family. But I am not going to let that story have the defining force in my life. See, maybe you're here tonight, and if we had you stand up front here, you could tell your history. And you could tell, hey, Pastor Walker, if you only knew, here's how my parents treated me. And, and, and I won't even say, because some of the stories are so sad and, and, and worse 
of abuses and violence and all kinds of treatments and people who to this day still remember their, their parents tell them, you'll never be anything. I mean, I've heard so many stories over the last 30 years of my life, and, and I understand that histories are, they have a lot of things in them that you'd rather forget. But let me, listen, but Joseph doesn't forget. Now, let me ask you, in our day, when you have a history that you like to forget, you don't name your son Manasseh. You know what Manasseh means? Look at the text. Go back to Genesis, would you please? You know what the text says? He named his son Manasseh. And it says, for God has made me forget. So is he really trying to forget? No, you know why? Because every time he calls his son's name, he's going to (laughs) remember. Right? So why would he say that? Why would you name, he says, God has made me forget. It's not that he forgets I don't remember anymore. But it's his refusal to let that story of what his brothers did to him. His brothers sold him to slavery. You read the Psalms. It gives you more detail. It it says in the Psalms that Joseph cried out to his brothers about being his brother. Why would you do this to me? I'm your brother. And he was totally broken by what his brothers would do to him. And then having to go to Potiphar's. He was sold as a slave. He He was convicted of a crime he never committed. He ruined his reputation that he was immoral. He was thrown in prison for two years. He was forgotten. And finally, he's elevated. But here's what he says. I named my son Manasseh. Not because I'm trying to forget, really. Here's why. Because every day when I hear his name, you know what's a reminder? That I am purposely, I am purposely refusing to remember my story as the defining part of my history. See, that's what you and I, and that's what Christians do. Our story, and Joseph had one, but it's subservient to the story of God that he was in. And that's why he says, God has made me to forget. Because his story has been connected to God's story. Case in point, illustration. The, I'm going to say this right, the Hutu tribe and the Tutsi tribe in Rwanda, this is back in the middle 90s, Many of the people in that nation, on both sides of the tribe, on both tribes, confessed to be Christians. The Hutus were people who were mainly crop art agricultural. The Tutsis were more about livestock. Um, They were the minority, but they became kind of the elite class, where they are a little bit more upper class, and the other ones were a little lower class. But the lower class had a little bit had more people. They were the majority. And in 1994, there was a huge fight and war and genocide in a matter of 100 days, almost 800,000 Tutsis were killed by the Hutus. They were killed. And they were Christians killing Christians. Why was that? In fact, I'm reading a a memoir right now by a lady who went through it who was a Tutsi, and what the Hutus called the Tutsis were cockroaches in Yiti. Cockroaches. Why did they do that? It's the same reasons uh, of why people said that were black people were half human and why the Germans said that Jewish people were half human. Why? Because if you can dehumanize people, then you don't have to treat them right. And this is by people in tribal Rwanda 
who claimed to be Christians. See, listen, they had an identity, but they didn't know what it meant. It had no bearing on how they treated anybody else in their lives. And see, that's what we can't, see, because their story wasn't connected to God's story. Joseph's was. He never lost. Remember Buckner said he didn't lose his roots or his bearings. He didn't lose what anchored him. Even though he went through so many things and he's looked back on his past, here's what he did. Everything in his story was anchored to God's story because he wasn't living in his story isolated. He was living in his story connected to God's story. And at the end of the book, do you see how he talks? He talks about what his brothers did to him and all the events of history. Here's how he talks. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Listen, and as it is to this day, he has brought it to pass so that many souls or many people could be saved. God kept the seed going of his people, of the promised Messiah. He kept the life going. He kept the nation of Israel going. And Joseph said, see, all the things in my past were not just about me. They were how God was using all those things in my past, connecting me to his story and making a difference in eternity. And so in our text, if you'll go back in Genesis chapter 41, the first thing is you have to be able to handle your past. And Joseph did not want his past to determine his present or his future relationships. And so he let God's story be the defining force in our culture today, in your life, and in your teenager's Hear me, there are alternative stories that will help them to see their history, their history as Christians in a church, the history of your family, the history of their beliefs and their convictions, and there's a new story that no one should tell you what your story is. You define your own story, and the defining story of most of our, a lot of young people today is culture and all that culture believes and the rugged individualism and the individual expressive individualism that's taking place now. And no one can tell you who you are. Listen, not even God. And that's where you get transgenderism. It's that they're telling you, this is who I want to be, and I don't care what God says. God says, I designed you and created you this way. This is who you are. They said, I don't want any part of it. And today our young people are being told No one should tell you who you are. You be who you want to be. But can I tell you this? There are incredible repercussions to all of that. All of that. Because there is no having a handle on history, your history, or your present, hear me, or your future, if you don't know who you really are. And there is no identity that will do all that you want it to do in life outside of God. And so Joseph says, not only did God make me forget all my hardship, and that means trouble, all the things that I did, they did to me. And then he says, all my father's house, because those are the things that shaped his identity. See, all of us tonight, we're shaped by our circumstances, our troubles in the past. We're shaped by our family. 75% of you said you were strongly shaped by your family. And we see that, but that's, that's influential. Hear me, it's not determinative. So here's the principle. You cannot use your history as an excuse for your present or your future. You cannot use your history as an excuse for your present and your future. You cannot. Joseph didn't. 
He didn't use what his brothers did to him or how they treated him or how Potiphar treated him or how the baker, and the, you know, they left him in there and never told the, he doesn't. He doesn't use this as an excuse for giving up, for changing his mind, to turning his back on God, to saying, hey, if you knew how bad my family was and you knew how they treat, he doesn't, he doesn't use an excuse for any of those things because he had connected that to God's story. He didn't want his, his um past to deter or define his present and his future. So he named his son Ephraim. God has made me, listen, he made me fruitful. Where? In the land of my affliction. Let me put to you this way application. We do not forgive and forget. We forgive and forgo. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You look back at your past, your parents, siblings, someone else in your life, a boss, a friend, former wife, spouse, child, whatever, whoever. See, you say, oh, I'd like to forgive and forget. You can't forgive and forget. But we can forgive and forego. And the only way that you can forgive people who have done things to you in your past, especially incredibly bad things that have happened to you, how can you forgive them and forgo? In other words, you don't take it out on them. You don't keep being bitter. You don't hold grudges. There are people tonight who are here and listening to me or at home listening to me, and you're still holding on to an event that took place more than 10 years ago, perhaps, maybe longer maybe even a little more recently than that, but you're holding it and you can't forgive and you can't forgo and you don't want to talk to those people anymore. You're not going to spend any time with them. Why? Because, see, your history, see, you have to own your history or your history will own you. It will. And that's why people are bitter and sometimes they, they don't have, they, they don't let anybody close to them. They don't want to come to church. They get mad at something that happened here. They get mad at somebody else and they're bitter and they're angry and they hold a grudge and they don't go to the person. They don't talk it out. The person may not even know there's a problem. They leave the church. They go somewhere else. They stop going to church, which is most common. Why? Because they don't handle their histories. They don't have it connected to God's story. They see no purpose and meaning to it other than how it has hurt them, period. That's it. That's not how Joseph saw it. He said, you know what? When you connect it to God's story, here's what he can do. He can make you fruitful. He can take that in the land of your affliction and he can totally transform it and use it in a way not only for your good but for the good of so many other people. And that's exactly what he did because you have to subordinate your story to God's. And when that happens, listen to me, and I'm going to quote this because it's my favorite quote I read this week. I read, and, and Kyle Snod, Klein Snodgrass, I know it's his real name, he said this, Christ is not an accessory to your identity as if we were making a small addition by letting him in our life. Rather, he takes over our identity so that everything else becomes an accessory to him. Let me say it again. Christ is not an accessory to our identity, but getting saved means when you have Christ, he changes everything and everything becomes an accessory to him. You see, a lot of people want to say, oh, yeah, here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's who I am. 
I'm this, this, and this. I'm successful, I'm beautiful, I'm muscular, I can sing, I can play, I'm sports, I'm smart, I'm this, and this is who I really am. Oh yeah, and I'd be glad to add Christ onto that. I have so many people who ask me, mostly young people, how do I know God's will for my life? But here's how their life lives. Here's my story, and I'm seeing where I can fit God into it. You've got it all backwards. To find the will of God is, this is his story, and the question is, how do you use your talents and ability to fit into it? Because it may not be anything what you think it is in your life. Because when you have God's story first, it doesn't revolve around you, it revolves around him. And that's how you see all of your history See, Joseph was still Joseph, and he still had his past, but his past had been changed, it had been reevaluated and reinterpreted because Jesus now was in his past. Jesus' story was the controlling and defining story of his life. It controlled all, all other stories. So you may say, hey, I'm divorced. That's not your primary identity. I was abused. That is true, and that'll never change, but that is not your primary identity. I am white, or I am Asian, I am Hispanic, I am black, African-American. That's true, but that's secondary. It's not the defining force in your life. It's not who you are primarily. All those other things, for good or bad, we don't stop being them. I don't stop being a pastor. You don't stop being a nurse. You don't stop being married, single, divorced, one child, two child, rich, poor. You don't stop being those things. All those things, though, now become accessories to Jesus in your life, not the other way around. You are not first rich, or intelligent, or beautiful, or whatever ethnicity and culture you are. You're not first that, and then you kind of add Jesus alone. That's not how it works. Not when you're Joseph, not when you're a Christian. That's not how you work through your past. So all of us, all of us tonight, need to have Jesus as our primary identity, and then everything else is accessorized around him. So here's the question, let me close with it again. Will we allow scripture to tell us who we are and who we are to be, or do we give that authority to someone else? Some of your children have been given their identity by social media, by their friends, by some pop star, some Hollywood actor, some friend at their school, some movement in our culture. Can I tell you this? Anyone or anything that does not, that has primary force other than God in your life is idolatry. It's idolatry. That's what we need to have. If we're ever gonna get past our past, and this is why, by, this is why so many kids are being ruined by it today, because they don't know who they are. And they're not living out a present and a future, and some of them don't think they even have one because they've never got past their past. All of us are struggling with that, and we need to say this, who are you, and who is going to be able to tell you the answer to that question? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story in Scripture, simple verses, but how much Joseph demonstrates and exemplifies for us how to handle our past and how in handling it biblically in a God-centered way 
how it changed his future, how he interpreted and looked at everything that came into his, our life. Lord, we, by and large, too many of us have lost that perspective. I pray that tonight for our families. I pray that for our teenagers. I pray that for our church, that we would be the church. See, this theme this year is about our identity. Who are we? We are the church. And Father, the more that we know you from the scriptures, the more that we know Jesus, the more we will know what we should be like. Help us to do that because we are your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.